Hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier, and I'm really excited to be back with the latest episode of the Let's Do Influencing Show. Really excited as well today to have a brand new and first-time guest. Our regular listeners know that I love bringing on new guests and introducing them to our audience and vice versa. Uh, so Lynn Ann Saperston, uh, so excited to bring you on today. And what I wanted to ask, uh, I guess right from the jump, is if you could tell us a little bit about yourself for our listeners who may be discovering you for the very first time. Sure. So I am a community builder. I am a lover of live events, uh, workshops, retreats, seminars, conferences, you name it, I love it. Um, I'm a world traveler, and I'm someone who I like to say my love language is marketing. I speak through marketing, I live through marketing, I love to share the gift of digital marketing. So um, I own a marketing agency for boutique travel destinations. We work mostly with boutique hotels and resorts, um, really cool, amazing, interesting places around the world that have venue space, that have space for an amazing event or an amazing experience. Um, and I like to say that I help people build the bridge to their ideal customer so their ideal customer finds them and comes to them and spends lots of money and gets to enjoy the amazing offerings and services that they have wow love it in every respect and i <laughs> guess you know i guess sort of a maybe a, a i'm gonna say a probably an opening question that i think fits that well is one of the things that you know, I, I heard whenever I started as a speaker, you know, that whether going to travel destinations or, or either hosting events or being involved in events is people always saying, oh, well, you know, the, uh, the event business is on a decline because, and the because was that, you know, we got so many um, digital ways to connect now, you know, so for example, your Skypes or Zooms, what have you. And what I find interesting about that, and you can tell me your thoughts on it, is uh, that I'm actually busier now than I was then. And you could, you could chalk that up to obviously, um, you know, more experience, all that kind of stuff. But I also follow the industry. And what I read is that there's more events, you know, today, by far than there was before we had that technology. And before people could connect digitally, it seems people still want to go to live events. And so I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Sure. Well, Corey, I agree with you. I actually think there, we are on the uptake. We are definitely on the increase, even though it, it seems counterproductive, right? It seems like all these people are buying info products and buying courses online and joining these communities online. But as a person who both builds communities online and builds communities in person, what I'm finding is, and what I'm finding, this is sort of a trend across the board, is that people are hosting um, you know, workshops or webinars are finding that people really want that extra piece. They wanna come out from behind the computer. They wanna be able to hug and, and talk with and, and have in-person experiences with the people that they're connecting with. So I think what's happened is actually the info products and all these courses are reaching more people and then more people are wanting to connect in person. And so it's actually having an exponential effect of uh, more people, you know, like TEDx, uh, you know, videos, they're going viral. So more people want to come to the TED events and sit and learn and people want to speak. And, and it's, it's, it's all feeding itself and it's sort of snowballing into this beautiful, magical explosion of events and in-person experiences. Well, it's funny you mentioned that too, the, the TED or TEDx events. I, I've been, I've spoken at three to this point. One was recently and one was, the first one was, I had out of the date in front of me, I believe, I want to say 2012. So let's say six years ago, roughly. And mm -hmm. both of the events sold out in about the same amount of time, which was less than a day. 
I believe. Um, so, and now I say that, and, and you probably know this as well, uh, Lynn Ann, but those events, it depends on the, uh, who's hosting it, but some of those events mm -hmm. have 400, 300 people. We're not talking, you know, 10,000 or anything, but the fact that they sell it within a day at a time when, again, people thought we'd be just doing everything digitally tells you, as you just said, people want to connect in person. And so much so that, like I said, the TED events I talk to, they get a license for a certain size venue. And most of them are saying, well, I wish we could, I wish we could have more. I wish we could triple the size or when we'd still sell it out within a week. And so it just goes to your point. And I guess even, and this is totally maybe unrelated, but it still goes to events. I mean, look at concerts and look mm -hmm. at um, promotions like, a, you know, whether it's uh, boxing or wrestling or anything like that. Those, play, those organizations are still selling at events at a time when everybody says nobody wants to go and do anything anymore. But so, it's, a time of, it's a time of curation and storytelling, right? So like the reason that like some of these TEDs are blowing up and selling out, I think it's because they're picking really great topics, topics that are, you know, on the pulse of what, what's going on for people and people are getting excited about the topic. And so it's about really paying attention to your audience and telling some sort of story. Because like, I think that that's what musicians are doing now, finally, you know, connecting through social media and then continuing it in live in-person stuff. So paying attention to all that is good. Yeah, I, I love that. And so when we talk about just to kind of, I guess, shift back to sort of the, the boutique travel side of things. Um, when, it, when it comes to that, what, I mean, what does that look like when I, and I'm, I'm thinking for that person that's listening, but maybe they haven't done that sort of thing before, and maybe there's a fit for them to do it. What does that look like when they reach out to you? So, you know, they reach out and they, you know, they want to, maybe they're running an event where they're bringing people in. Maybe it's the company, they're running the event and they just want to have sort of that experience. Um, what, uh, what does that sort of, I guess, look like when, from the time they reach out to you? And, and I guess I'm looking at what, it, what does it look like in terms of what you do for them and how you make that whole event shine? Sure. So basically, this is what I call my discovery process. And I, I think people in multiple industries do this, but I'm really getting to know someone and, and finding out the chemistry between us. Um, a lot of people are cautious, and I think with good reason, before they hire a marketing agency or hire someone to support them with their marketing. So, you know, the first conversation is around, you know, is the, is the qualifying conversation, is this a fit? Is this some, are you somebody who has a budget, somebody who's interested? And then we really go into really deep discovery, um, which is the stuff I love to do, you know, I'm asking about the business, I'm asking about all the details of how the business is ran, you know, the buyer process, um, any of the needs they already feel pain points of, like things that they're feeling pressure to perform in. Um, I go into their customer avatar. So who is their customer? You know, how do they act? What is their behaviors? Um, just learning more about them. What is their customer customer's sort of problem solution situation? Um, I look at their competition, the market of the marketplace, both from the client themselves and then um, we do some research on our end and um and we start to look at like you know traffic and how they're bringing in clients and customers and sales and then we start to talk about strategy and we start to create strategy together and i think that's a really exciting part of the work that i do because i get really interwoven and meshed into a company and it's it's not rare for me to hop on a plane in the first few months and go to the site and meet the team and meet the staff and and get to put a face to the skype girl you know the girl on zoom um and and we have conversations and you know i start to see where they have um you know bottlenecks with you know work with uh, sales and i can really talk to them about how we can i really i'm trying to empower them you know, to find a solution or to speak uh, words to the solution that they wish existed and then help them make it happen, help them make it a reality. 
So that's sort of how I work with people. Um, but I, I think it, it is really hands-on. And so they even start to get a taste of what it's like to work with me. And I also start to get a vibe for who they are. And if I think it'll be a fit and if I think I can get them really great results. So now, I guess then the other side is you, I mean, I know that you work with the resorts, the hotels, what have you. And, and I can see where, you know, sometimes they're going, trying to get one, one-to-one bookings and where let's say corporate uh, partnership, bringing in corporate clients or, or retreats or tying it to, as you said, a, a destination or an event destination. I can see where that could help them exponentially grow their business. Do you also work with the event planners? And when I say that, I mean, for example, we see a lot more now of, let's say, and I'll, I'll use Hey House as the example, but let's say an organization that could be similar to Hey House that's putting on an event, and I'm just using an example, but let's say it's at a resort in Arizona and they're trying to fill their event. Do you work with clients on that side or is it only on the hotels, resorts side? Does that make sense? No, not really. I mean, we, we have some marketing offerings for events. Um, uh, typically, uh, yeah, we just typically don't do that. I, I speak sort of from a thought leader perspective on how to make your event, you know, like I said, curating it, magnetizing it, making sure you have an audience, making sure you're sort of going into different uh, groups of people that are already assembled that would really love your content would really love the type of event um, But yeah, we're not really consulting around that mostly. We're really uh, starting at the Inception of a lot of events and helping them build a relationship with the venue So the event is really immersed with the venue space and either this the country or the city or the location and um, really helping those two uh, You know just work together and so then I guess that, you know, that raises the question just, and I'm thinking now from the, um, let's say the resort or uh, whoever is kind of bringing in those who are hosting the events, where do you usually see, based on your experience, where do you usually see the challenges? Like, where do you see that they, for lack of a better way of saying it, drop the ball the most? <laughs> That's a fair question. Uh, I think there's so many. I think, you know, sometimes when people take on an event, especially if they're trying to do the logistics and the planning themselves, it can be very overwhelming. Um, and so a lot of the properties I work with have some sort of event coordinator that can work with you. Um, but that only goes so far, too. And I know because I've been hosting events for over six years, too. And um, there are things that you just won't anticipate, like a train strike or the shuttle people strike or some kind of thing that just like you could not have predicted and then you have to come up with a new solution or a new um, way of making it work. Um, but I think the, the really exciting part in that is that people, I grow so much. So every time I host an event, I always say I'm going through a massively transformational event myself first. Um, I'm having to expand who I am and my ability to hold a container and my ability to be, you know, a business person, to be a connector, to be a community builder. And all of that is being challenged and, and thus expanding. And so um, it kind of comes with the territory, but I, I think the big one is like hiring a planner, hiring, or at least having somebody you can lean on or a community you can lean on to ask those kind of questions when things go sideways. Um, and then the other piece I think that people sometimes get challenged with if they don't already have a huge audience is filling the event. Um, which can be a big, big, big challenge. I see a lot of really epic events, unfortunately, have to cancel because they didn't have enough attendees. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's got to be the, so I've run events like yourself before, and I have to say that's got to be one of the biggest challenges is you run an event and, you know, last minute you you send out a note or you reach out to people and say, uh, we decided to change the date of the event or whatever it might be. 
And there's a lot of times when you know, as somebody who's planned events before, that uh, that there's a reason, and the reason is that they haven't sold enough tickets. Mm -hmm. And it's it's I mean, it's got to be such a challenging. And, and I've had to do it, but I just think from anybody's perspective, it's got to be such a challenging moment to figure out how am I going to say we're either rescheduling this event or we're not running this event without people realizing or you know, or even acknowledging that we didn't fill the seats because then there's a certain perception from a brand point of view. And what made me think of that, Lynn Ann, when you mentioned it, is I have a, a close friend who was running, and I won't say much more than this because I don't want to out her, but she's running a, was running a play in a certain place. And I don't know that this is a fact. I've, I haven't asked her, I haven't chatted with her personally since, but we bought tickets for the play. And then about five, six days before, I had talked to her the same day we bought her tickets, and she was so excited. And I actually bought the tickets already, and then we talked to her later. And then the next day, a thing comes out saying that um, basically that she's under the weather and sick and, and they're changing the dates of the event. And what I can tell you is when I went in to buy my ticket, it was five days before the event and I was mm -hmm. almost right on, I was on the floor, you know, very close to the front row. So, you know, I can do some stuff and say it was probably because the tickets weren't going as well. And now she's allowed herself a couple of months to, to try to fill the place. They've rescheduled. But again, that's, that's such a hard thing. So if you can fill the event, going back to your point, before you ever have to deal with that or fill the event instead of having to deal with that, I think that's a much more pleasant approach. Or partner with somebody. I mean, what else, I'll speak to that because I've, I actually had an event that a lot of people don't know about because it didn't sell that many spots, right? It got canceled before it even got noticed. Um, so, you know, hopefully she just got exposed to a handful of people and she'll be fine. I don't think from a brand perspective, it compromises you to take risks with events. Um, I think the problem or the more the challenge is that you do your research. Um, this is why pre-sales are really powerful, right? Seeing if there is a want, if there is a need, um, if people are buying those pre-sale tickets, they get snapped up, then you know, okay, there is that demand and then you can kind of go big and you can launch it in a bigger way. But um, I say, I always say, go take the risk. Don't worry about canceling it. I try not to do it five days before. I try to do it a few months before, but um, people won't even notice if the tickets didn't sell. Yeah, that's such a great point. They're not as focused on us as we are. <laughs> you know, they're not. <laughs> a lot of times, as we say, they're not even thinking about us at all when we think they're thinking about us all the time. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so so I think that's such a great point. And and it, any event I put on, I've I put on the next one even if I had an event where it wasn't as big as I wanted it to be, because like you said, it's always worth the risk. And really nobody knew unless I made it clear, which you know you don't have to. And so I think that's such a great point. And I think also the partnering and testing is something you just said there is so huge. Uh, partnering is, I think today is everything. You know, whenever I've done any launches, I've never done a launch alone, or I shouldn't say never, but I haven't done a launch in a long time alone. And I can compare the difference. And I know somebody who just did a book launch and I was curious how well it was doing. And I went on and I checked out Amazon because you can check out the charts there. And, um, you know, it wasn't doing, I'm going to say super strong, but also I noticed they didn't reach out to me. They didn't partner with anybody during their launch. Uh, they mm -hmm. don't have a big social following. So there's a lot of things working against them. And it's so interesting that sometimes people say, well, you know, you're saying a negative about them. Well, I'm not because the truth is, is they could fix all that with partnering. And so the opposite side is, with my last book launch, I partnered more than I ever had before. And, you know, it was such a difference. It was so much easier. It was, you know, such, I'm going to say so much less stress and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the other thing you said, which I think was important is I tested it first and I, and I didn't, it wasn't like this big vision where I said, I'm going to test this. And I went and do it planning this. It was all a happy accident. But what happened was I knew somebody else who launched their book 
on uh, Kickstarter who actually tested three or four businesses through crowdfunding. And so I basically said, well, I hadn't seen anybody that's done a nonfiction book on Kickstarter. Why don't I try it? And so I launched that way. So I'll call it a pre-launch. And it was more of a test. Let's see what happens. And it went over great. I mean, we did 175% of our target. And nice. we also, which I think people overlook too, is we then had a street team that could promote mm -hmm. the book, people who've already read it and could provide re uh, reviews once the book came out. And so it was like a test, test campaign, but then it also, we also had partners as a result. And I just have to say that that was such a, I'm going to say such a more pleasant experience because I already knew before I launched, there was an appetite, as you said, for the book. So I think there's, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to see anybody move off from what we just said without realizing the power of collaboration, partnering and testing. Yeah. And what I would say is, you know, a lot of people get competitive in the business world, right? Like I don't want anyone to know my secrets and I don't want to let them in and I want to keep myself sort of siloed and really knowing you have a support system, knowing you have someone to rely on, knowing you have, you know, that extra, you know, joint venture that, that could mail once or twice more for you. It actually creates peace of mind and you probably were more at ease. You probably sold better. You probably made clearer decisions during the launch because you had that whole system around you. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I would say that, uh, well, I'll say I'd like to feel I did because there's certainly <laughs> stress that I'd had in previous book launches. And I've always launched books with different strategies. Like that's, that was the 12th book. So I've had a lot of, you know, rundown with this world. Uh, my earlier books were strictly bricks and mortar, you know, on the shelves. Uh, and I did corporate sales going back to the idea of the power of one to many versus one to one. Mm -hmm. And those books did well, but they, I didn't have the same approach or strategy as now. Um, and what's really wild is somebody pointed out the other day to me that every project I do, I some way, shape or form would try to tie a partnering approach in, even if it's unintentional. So those early books, I was, pro I was actually uh, sharing the stories of thought leaders in my local region. And then the books were released in the local region. But what the interesting part about that is then all of a sudden those same regional thought leaders that are profiled in the book have a vested interest for telling everybody, hey, check out the new book I'm in. And then also a lot of them were, were companies, they were entrepreneurs, so they were buying books for their clients or their staff. And so I was getting corporate sales. But all of that was tied to the fact that I was, the book was about them rather than me, but it became a partnership. So when you mentioned partnership, uh, you know, I believe that's so crucial. And then for me, the testing in that book was the people that want to be in the book so bad told me that they wanted to read a book like that. Like they were saying, I love this idea because this, I love to read short stories. And you know, you have a short story about an entrepreneur. And so I was getting the feedback and testing it before it was ever launched. So long story short is that uh, I think those are huge when it comes to whether it's a person that's running, as you say, retreats and they're trying to bring in events or whether it's the event planner themselves. Yes, totally. So now the other side, how important, and this is going one step forward, further, but how important when you're working with a client is social media and digital marketing? You know, obviously we're in a different world now and when it comes to bringing people into our venue than we were years ago. So how big of a part is social media strategy in what you do? I mean, it's, it's everything. It's really large. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of these hotels and resorts and lodges come to us because they've been getting by on, like I'd like to say, like their laurels. They've been getting by on referrals. They've been doing well, but somehow their online presence doesn't reflect the experience that someone has when they come to their property, right? And so if your social media, if your website, if any of your digital marketing isn't equivalent to what it's like to be 
with you in person then and there's any kind of discrepancy then you have to improve it like you're there's almost like a necessary you must do it because people are checking instagram they're checking facebook you know they're looking at your website before they do something um and it needs to all echo what they're going to experience when they meet you in person when they come to your property in person so um we we push it pretty hard um some of our clients are very cautious no no we don't want to do that social media thing and the more time you spend with me, like I said, my marketing is my love language. It's really how you can build a relationship. You can engage with your audience. You can build rapport. You can nurture leads. You can have people start to aspirationally dream of, of an adventure, you know, to your place. Um, and people start to see how necessary it is, how essential it is, how actually fun it can be. You know, it's really fun to share what's going on. Um, and I actually, people who know me know when they talk to me, they go, I always go, that should be a blog post because I love reading blog posts on different pieces of content, you know, that are coming up in conversation or that someone is really, you know, enthusiastically sharing something they've learned. And I'm like, that would be a great blog post, you know, cause I'm sitting there and I'm always thinking about ways that you can be creating it into content, how you can be distributing it. Um, that's sort of the magic of the internet right now is that we can type into Google or Bing and we can get an answer. We can get a perspective. We can get an opinion. We can get a training. We can get a how to, literally immediately and um if you have something to give it's almost like your duty it's your your divine duty to put it out there and to share it and so that's a lot of the journey i take um a lot of these destinations on is just to say hey if people are searching about your location you need to come up you need to show up in their search you know you need to show up on their instagram feed because they need to know about you because it could it could change their life it could well, and, and it's interesting when you mentioned about you have sort of a duty or a responsibility, and I don't know why it popped into my head, but I thought about the, uh, the Zig Ziglar, what he used to say, uh, the late Zig Ziglar quote, he used to say, um, and I, I, can't, I can't remember the exact wording, I'm paraphrasing this, but it was long ideas of, if you have a product that you know somebody needs, you have a moral obligation to help them get that product. And that's such a strong terminology, moral obligation, it, you know, mm -hmm. it, I don't know why that when you said that it, it sort of it always strikes me that when I used to hear that I was like it, it actually changed the way that I work with customers it, it made me realize it was a disservice if I didn't demonstrate at least to the best of my ability why I was the right fit because somebody else might in this way I viewed it somebody else might come in and, and totally take it you know take them for a ride and so mm -hmm. I had a quote-unquote moral obligation and just using those words made it so firm to me. Like I, I have to do this. You know, this is I, I, I'm responsible for this type of thing. Anyway, so when you mentioned that, that's just what popped into my head. But I guess then, if uh, you know, if we go, I guess deeper down this rabbit hole, I'd love to get your thoughts on, in terms of when I mentioned social media, you know, so now there's the other sort of um, I'm going to say that maybe the elephant in the room, which is the other side of the world now, which is media, so press, media, what have you, mm -hmm. and. Yeah, obviously things have changed a lot. You know, the power of social media, the power of digital media cannot be overlooked. And there's lots of cases where it's even more powerful. You know, there's podcasts that have a lot more strength than top rated shows. shows. Yeah, exactly. So what are your thoughts now on the importance when you're working with clients of traditional media? So um, I actually trained one of my mentors. Her name is Donna Cravata in social PR. So some of my background is I did work in traditional PR in New York City um, in the fashion industry. And so, you know, we had big, you know, corporate accounts and things like that. And, you know, I had big media lists. 
And I think there is a cool, happy medium place where social meets PR. Um, right now, we live in an age where you could direct message someone on Twitter or LinkedIn and literally get to the editor of a magazine. Um, you can, you know, you can tweet somebody and I mean, I, I've, I've tweeted with Condé Nast Traveler and then been able to connect them with clients like in a, in a couple days. So we have that power at our fingertips, everyone, not just a PR firm, not just uh, an agency that you're paying thousands of dollars a month to and hoping that you get some press from. So we live in a new age of press. Um, I still think that press is just as important, um, but it's just morphing and it's becoming something different because we have online magazines, right? We don't have just print magazine. Um, and like you said, we have podcasters who have immense influence. I mean, part of our PR package that we do for our clients is we pitch them to some podcasts. Um, also, you can be pitching for guest posts, right? You can be pitching for content um, on some of these digital uh, platforms, whether it's video or written content. I mean, right now, video is so hot and so easy. And so if you can, especially in restaurants and travel and, and all that food, people love food, food video right now, um, but really anything. And so there's so much you can be pitching. There's so much that so many more relationships we can be building. And there's so it's so easy. It's so accessible to build these crazy media contact lists. I mean, I used to have to buy media contact lists and sometimes I still do, but I can build them from, I mean, literally I, I messaged someone on LinkedIn and I'm building a relationship with her who writes for bridal magazines for two of my properties. And her and I were just being, you know, conversational. I realized she had a friend, we had a friend in common. And I mean, literally I just wrote her a message on LinkedIn. That was all I did. You know, hi, I saw that you write for this magazine, you know, da, da, da but it's so simple almost um, to cult, but, but then you also have to cultivate the relationships. You still have to know how to network. You still have to know how to relationship build. Yeah. And that's, I think that's an important part that people kind of overlook. I think they think, Oh, there's shortcuts now. And you know, there may indeed be, as you said, shortcuts to reach the person, but there's no shortcuts to building the relationship. And I think sometimes people forget and overlook the fact that because there is those shortcuts, that means those same people are getting approached by a lot more people. A lot and more people. Yep. They have to be even more discriminative because they don't have, it's not like they have more time to fill either. I mean, no question people in the media are always looking for great stories and great people, but again, you know, they're getting hit with more. So because they don't have more time that they can fill stuff in, they still have to say no to more people. And so I think back to your point is there may be a shortcut for reaching them, but there's certainly no shortcut for making the impression that sticks with them. Exactly. That makes sense. And so I guess, Lenan, as we wind down, uh, I have three questions for you. I used to call them rapid fire, but you don't have to answer them in a rapid fire way or anything. But um, three <laughs> questions that we always ask every guest that I'd love to ask you as well. And, uh, and then we'll just ask you after that the unofficial question of how we can learn more about your work. Uh, but the first of those three questions is simply this. And, and it relates to the previous name of our show for five years, which was Conversations with Passion. So how important do you think it is uh, for a person to find their purpose, their calling, their passion, their why, whatever you want to put it on it as a term, uh, how important is it to do you, how important do you think it is for a person to find that? And if you do think it's important, why is that? It's as important as breathing. Wow. Um, if you don't find even if you spend your whole life looking for the why, right? Exploring, following your excitement, then you've built a happy, exciting, you know, delightful life. Um, and hopefully you've been of service during that adventure of discovery. Um, but when you find your purpose, 
everything falls into place. Um, uh, there's an alignment that takes place um, for you to both know yourself and to know other people and to be able to be love and to be able to love yourself more deeply. Um, and I think at that point, we become less selfish. We become part of the human race and um, we give back and we do the kind of things that make this world a better place. Wow. I love that. So powerful. What about uh, success? How do you personally define success? Um, I think there's twofold. Um, I think first success has to do with a, a state of being, uh, a way that you just wake up every morning and in those quiet moments, it's just who you are and just how you are. Um, and it has to do with like a contentment, but also a satisfaction with how you're living and a satisfaction with your relationships and a satisfaction with where you are, because where you are is where you are, you know, and you can't be anywhere else. So can you be happy with what is? Um, but also I'm someone who loves money and I'm not afraid to say that. And um, I, I strive to create value in the world and value for the people that come into my life. And um, in turn, I receive a lot of value back. And so for me, uh, you know, when people talk about a legacy or, or leaving, a, you know, leaving something behind when you've left, for me, that's a huge part of my success is like, how many lives can I impact? How many more, um, you know, people, places um, can, I, can, I, can I just contribute to? Can I leave a, a piece of me, a piece of learning, a piece of whatever? Um, and so the more I can do that, the more successful, the more uh, satisfied I feel. Last official question is, if you could sit across from a younger version of yourself, and I never try to tell somebody the age, I'll just say, you know the age probably when you needed to hear it the most, but you could sit across from a younger version of yourself and give her one piece of life advice based on what you've learned in the years since. What do you think you might tell her? That truly anything is possible beyond the current comprehension of your mind. And so even like, I mean, if I went back in time and I told myself who I was, I wouldn't believe me. I know I wouldn't. I'd be like, that's a joke. Like, that's ridiculous. So, you know, just that anything is truly possible. And we live in a world of endless possibilities. So if you have a crazy idea, follow it. Because guess what? It probably will come true. Love it. So, Lenan, last, and I call this the unofficial question, of course. Uh, the very last question, and it's the unofficial one. But it's perhaps the most important. Because somebody listening to a short interview I find that, well, me, myself, especially, I want to know how I can connect with that person, how I can learn more about their work. And we can never cover it all, obviously, in a 30-minute interview. Uh, so with your permission, I'll call it a to-be-continued as well. But in terms of how we can connect further with you, is there a hub or where would you normally send people when, uh, when you want them to learn more about your work or just to reach out to you? Um, well, I'm all over social media, Lenan Saperstein, um, and you can visit my website, theexperienceexperts.com, and um, it's got all the links to, you know, YouTube and Instagram and LinkedIn, all the ways to reach me. Awesome stuff. Well, Lenan Saperstein, this has been an absolute pleasure. I, I thank you so much from the bottom of my heart, and, uh, and I love the work you're doing. So, you know, I hope uh, listeners will go and check you out and go and, and learn more about your work because I think it's so powerful and important. And as somebody who's been on the end of having an event that didn't go as well as I hoped and didn't bring in the people, and then also has even been involved working with the venue, and like you said, these are partnerships where the venue struggled with the same thing. Uh, I know how important this is, and I'm glad that you're helping make that, uh, you know, that situation go away one person at a time. So thank you for all the great work you're doing.
Thank you, Corey. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Awesome. It was a pleasure. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.